0: Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at iaslc.org in the news section.
1: Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at islc.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Jack West. Joining me on this episode are Dr. Mary Jo Fiddler and Dr. Sandeep Patel. Dr. Fiddler is an Associate Professor of Medical Oncology at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. And Dr. Patel is an Associate Professor of Medical Oncology at the University of California at San Diego. Thank you both for joining. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about telemedicine, which I would say is a relatively underused technology that really came onto the scene, kind of exploded onto the scene in uh, the setting of coronavirus and concerns about exposures for people with visits. And you both wrote a recent article about telemedicine for the ISLC Lung Cancer News publication, and actually had a somewhat different point of view about it. So Mary Jo, you were more positive about telemedicine's future, especially with this role it's playing with COVID-19 fears. And Sandeep, you were more talking about the challenges. So Mary Jo, can we start with you? Your hospital did a survey of patients who experienced telemedicine, and I gathered that the results were pretty powerful. Can you talk about that and what you think is behind those results?
2: Well, overall, our cancer center and our hospital, I believe, has had a favorable experience with telemedicine. So uh, the hospital was surveying the first 314 responders who had telemedicine visits, And the survey scale went from 0 to 10, and almost 80% of patients rated the visit a 9 or 10 out of 10, and only 7.6% of patients had the experience being number 6 or lower. That was was pretty favorable. And then specific to our cancer center, we don't have patient satisfaction numbers out, but I could say that through the COVID-19 pandemic and our peak activity with the COVID virus, we were able to maintain a 80% pre-COVID outpatient visit level using telemedicine. So at the time of the peak in Chicago area, we had about 50% of visits being video visits, about 16% being telephone visits, and less than 40% being in-person visits. But with the use of telemedicine, we were still able to maintain our infusion center at almost 80% of pre-COVID visit capacity. So overall, I would say it's been favorable for Rush.
0: Mary, Jody, you mind if I ask, I, I was curious, was the survey um, sent electronically, by paper, in person? Um, was it done in English, multiple languages? Just, just for my own curiosity.
2: The survey was, I, I've seen survey results from the, some of my patients that had visits, and the survey was incorporated through the electronic medical record. So all of our video visits in telemedicine were done through our EMR, which we have Epic and the patients, it appears had a survey sent to them through that vehicle and responded that way.
1: Well, I think uh, the point's well taken if, uh, if I'm reading Sandeep, right. That, you know, obviously one of the issues that we need to think about are selection biases of which patients are best suited for it. But, uh, Before we get to that, one of the longstanding challenges with telemedicine has been the regulatory environment and concern about practicing medicine across state barriers and reimbursement issues that were really previously pretty restrictive and I believe have loosened up a bit. Can you
2: talk a bit about that, Mary Jo? Sure. So with the onset of the COVID pandemic, regulatory restrictions in general were eased but there are several federal and state agencies involved in regulating telemedicine which has made it a moving target and quite complicated regulatory boards involved are not limited to centers for medicare and medicaid services or cms the department of health and human services is involved the office for civil rights is involved the office of inspector general And all of these bodies have made telemedicine more accessible, but states also have some role in regulating. In general, the Office of Inspector General has said they will not impose penalties for noncompliance with HIPAA, or the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, as long as the telemedicine is provided in good faith. Uh, So live-facing platforms like Facebook Live would be a bad idea. But in general, if the telemedicine is in good faith, we won't be sought after for HIPAA in compliance. But regulations continue to evolve. And I remember when our cancer center was trying to implement telemedicine, it changed by the week what we could do, what we could bill for, what the reimbursement rates were. And the current thinking is that video visits hopefully will be at least around through December of 2020, but that, that may change as well
1: well it's definitely been a quick learning curve and i think one of the questions and challenges is whether particularly with its fast rollout it's the right tool for the job uh, for for a lot of patients particularly in in medical oncology where there's just a lot of emotion involved and and, and sandeep you'd written that medical oncology is high intensity high touch care that is not optimally suited for a video visit. Can you tell us more about that, that frame and really just your nuanced view and particularly whether you think it's just poorly suited overall or it's really just something that should be applied to a subset of patients as a good option but not for
0: others? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it depends on the nature of the visit. I think broadly, my view of telemedicine is it should be the appetizer, not the main course. Meaning there's probably a defined role you know, for a patient who's getting every you know, six month or yearly scans for stage two cancer. Uh, the delta right between a video visit and an in-person visit is quite minimal. And, and that kind of visit may be ideally suited. For telemedicine. However, for a patient who's on you know, second or third-line chemotherapy, multiple family members may disagree about what to do next, I have found, at least personally, those have been poorly suited um, in terms of hospice discussions and what to do next for telemedicine. And I found in-person, um, which you know we're now allowed to do kind of in a safe, socially distanced and masked way, um, has been a better way of approaching those, those difficult conversations. Um, and so I think it differs. I think also Mary Jo made some excellent points those patients often that respond to surveys, they're fluent in English, they have excellent Wi-Fi, they're tech savvy, they have iPhones. Of course, they're going to love telemedicine because it, it makes it easier. But for those patients in which you have a difficult conversation, English may not be their first language, and they have a flip phone, you know, the, these patients often can't even respond to the survey, right, in and of itself. And, and so I've found, at least in my own clinic, probably about one in five to one in six patients have difficulty even connecting via the EMR. And we've had to convert those to telephone, which at least, you know, CMS currently allows. And and the problem is you don't see the patient. You know, one of the most important things about my physical exam isn't actually anything we put in the note. It's how difficult it is for the patient to get from their chair to the, to the seat, right? uh, The examination table. Um, And and so we do lose out on some of those. The examination is only neck high, right? On a video exam. And so I, I think there are a lot of nuances. I think telemedicine does have a role. It'll continue to have a role, but, but I do view it more as an appetizer, not the main course for the vast majority of the patients. And I also view it for the group of patients who may have low, lower socioeconomic status, lower technological proficiency, English is not their native language. I, I think we do need to find a way to to make sure that we don't leave this group behind as more and more telemedicine is inevitably um integrated into medical workflows.
1: Yeah, I think that's ah been an interesting issue that I've encountered that. We rolled this out. I was part of the kind of uh, the beta testing and the pilot experience with it. But I have found that it hasn't been infallible that this is not necessarily like you just click and find your way there. And some patients even who sign up may or may not be able to make it into that virtual waiting room. And I I, I would say it doesn't mean in my mind that we should throw out the baby with the bath water, but that we should recognize that it's it's not going to be the the perfect setting for, for every patient or every scenario. So fair enough. Go ahead, Mary Jo.
2: I just wanted to counter a couple of points. For our experience and my own personal experience, I, I found that especially in the current times with the pandemic, there's a restriction on visitors and how many people can actually come into the room with the patient. So some patients have benefited more from a telemedicine approach, especially with video visits, because they've been able to be with their family. And it's been a better way to bring family members into some serious discussions. I agree with Sandeep that certainly not every visit is probably the best uh, for video visits, but that has been a pro for our end Um, and just regarding the interpreters we've been able to incorporate interpreters through our telemedicine visits so that's gone pretty well i would agree there's been a bit of a learning curve and we've employed the medical assistants to help get patients online but certainly some of the criticisms and concerns that cindy brings up are valid
1: yeah but I, i i like that you brought up the uh the issue that right now uh, at our center as well, we have a restriction on visitors, and so you cannot have the the full, rich discussion with family members, even if it's a live visit. And and arguably, it can be better by uh, I, I can include a broader range of people in a telemedicine visit right now than a live visit, although. We do those with with telephone or, or occasionally actually with a, a video, but it's, you know, so in fact, what we're seeing is some kind of hybrid, even even for the live
0: visits where we're doing a portal into a virtual connection with other family members. Absolutely, and that's we, we've actually found that hybrid model to, to be to work quite well for these kinds of discussions. And so, like like many issues, the truth often falls uh, somewhere in between. And and, and so for us, uh, we have similar restrictions. And so, you know, making sure you, you see the patient face-to-face and, you know, sometimes they can bring one other person uh, if they're masked and they're otherwise well. Um, but then, you know, looping in the rest of the family by a televisit, that hybrid model ha- has worked quite well, at least for for myself in some of my more difficult discussions. But Mary Jo's points and, and your points, Jack, are very well taken that um, in the era of COVID-19, the more we can do virtually, uh, the better. It's just some things can't be done virtually, and for some patients, it's, uh, it's a bridge to far i think we've all had the the video discussions where you know they've cut every third word kind of got chopped out and you're trying to f- kind of figure out what to do and i think you know a lot of us also have you know, work meetings and, and, and conferences that are, you know, in various web platforms. And, you know, those are, are difficult um, enough, you know, people don't mute, or there's nat noise in the background, or people have that, you know, phone and microphone both on and you get that, you know, echo, which is kind of the, you know, audio version of screeching on the chalkboard. And, and these <laughs> are, you know, people who, uh, you know, are calmer, right? These aren't patients walking in, you know, nervous about their scan results, And so if we're having enough trouble with telemeetings in in a more casual environment amongst patients on their, you know, university or home, you know, high speed Wi-Fi, you know, for some patients, we are asking an awful lot. And, and, you know, it's necessary, but it probably isn't going to be a a panacea. And I'll be surprised if telemedicine continues at this rate after, you know, the pandemic resolves, at least in terms of medical oncology, only because it's historically, you know, a high touch specialty. Um, And then the other point is, and I think this is the elephant in the room, right now, the reimbursements one to one, it is extremely doubtful that cash-strapped federal and state governments will keep reimbursement uh, one-to-one for telemedicine in 2021 and 2022. And, and I'm curious if the enthusiasm for this will will wane once reimbursement changes. I seema Verma actually just gave an interview, I think it was yesterday, where she said she expects telemedicine to continue, um, but not at similar reimbursement. And so I, I am curious how much of this uh, exuberance is based on uh, reimbursement parity at the current time.
1: Yeah, I think let's get into that. So let's talk about beyond this acute situation, because the world we were in in March was different. Things really clamped down. And I think that we have entered into a a new equilibrium that is not going back to 2019 in many ways. And I'm not just talking about telemedicine reimbursement, but in, in all sorts of ways, the risk I think wherever you are, whether it's beaches opening up or protests or restaurants, there's going to be some ongoing level of exposures happening that make me think we aren't going to see anything close to eradication of coronavirus in the next six to 12 months. And so I'm interested in folks' thought on, what do you see as being where telemedicine settles out? perhaps with the question of if there is not a financial disincentive and if there's parity versus a world if it goes back to that because i i would say that in general when people are choosing between you can do an activity that pays more or pays less people will usually choose the option that pays more almost all the time but while i think that the you know telemedicine is not perfect for everyone i think it's going to have a place alongside of the live clinic for a subset of people. Mary Jo, what are your thoughts here?
2: I think that there will still be a role for telemedicine, especially if someone is coming from a major referral center. Right now we're in the beautiful era of pandemic traffic in Chicago, but normally it could take two hours to come in from the Northwest suburbs into the city to get an opinion from a thoracic oncologist or a breast oncologist, you know, or a multidisciplinary team. And I think that is one perk of telemedicine where we could reach out to more community physicians and really link patients who otherwise wouldn't have access to subspecialty care.
0: Sandeep, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Mary Jo brings up some good points that, uh, you know, patients who have to travel from afar patients who may not be able to drive in themselves, right, or take public transport. Um, I, I think this is really the area in which telemedicine will will continue and, and to be advantageous, though at least in my own practice, I found the Venn diagram intersect of, you know, those patients that cannot, you know, bring themselves, you know, reasonably um, well um, into clinic also have issues, you know, with Wi-Fi or internet or their phones uh, making video visits. And in fact, they're the ones who actually, once we were able to reopen to in-person clinic visits, I, I found it was that population that actually came back first because, you know, they have difficulty hearing, they have difficulty operating technology. And so I, I think, uh, you know, the idea is to have good options for our patients. And I think there there are some visits, if, if you're a patient that, you know, had stage, you know, one resected cancer, um, stage two resected cancer, and you're getting a routine scan, and it takes you two hours to to, to make the visit, I think that's something that'll continue to be telemedicine. But I do wonder how many of those patients that that live that far away or have other issues commuting may actually prefer a face to face, you know, like they've been doing for the past, uh, you know, several decades. And so, I, I think the question on how best to intercalate telemedicine is definitely a moving target. I think uh, how much of the current paradigm that relates to you know, not only reimbursement parity, but the ability to use effectively any video application, right, as opposed to your EMR zone application, and also just the ability you know, to have this HIPAA waiver and, and practice across state lines. How much of this will actually persist? How much of this will get commoditized, right? I think these are, these are moving targets that, that we don't yet have the answers to. But you know, one of the points is telemedicine has been available for, for years now, and I'm just hard pressed to imagine that if it was as impressive as as it is, and I think it's uniquely impressive right now due to COVID nineteen, that that this wouldn't have been you know adopted by a greater degree. And I think some of the disadvantages of that are coming to light. And and one of those is fundamentally you got to come in for your labs and your imaging and your infusion anyway at some point, right? And if you are, why not do your visit, right? And so. I do think um, it'll be a niche, um, you know, scan follow-ups, things like that. How much more than that in medical oncology? I think it's harder to sell. I think other specialties in medicine may have much higher utilization of telemedicine after this. I mean, it's just hard for me to to see that be medical oncology based on what the day to day is. Interesting points. I I just
1: think that you know, with the state licensure restrictions and lack of parity and payment, those are practical ways that telemedicine has essentially been hobbled. I don't think it's been a level playing field at all. And I think that this test has been more of an opportunity to really see, like working from home, that many of us can do this. And and there's a lot of opportunity to for a lot of people to work from home and the sun still you know, revolves around the earth and the earth still revolves on its axis. Without things falling apart, I think that this has been a kind of forced test case that hasn't been an unalloyed good, uh, but has been, but has really showed us that a lot of things do work. Uh, and we'll see. I think I, I look forward to seeing where things go. And I, I suspect that Different docs may have different thresholds for or different affinity for it, just as their, their own styles. And it may well be that, Sandeep, you really connect more with people interpersonally in the room and other people, maybe partly because of the demographics of who they're seeing and the commutes they have or the, the, the requirements to, to getting into the, the, the clinic. Telemedicine may be a more valuable prevalent tool. So, we
2: shall see. I can talk a little bit about how our cancer center was using the telemedicine at, certainly at the height of our pandemic and I think all of us are worried that we may see a a second phase for those places that have seen covid numbers coming down and more social distancing restrictions back in order. Hopefully that won't happen, but when it was bad in Chicago, we were doing video visits with patients to assess if they we're having symptoms that could potentially prevent them from getting their next round of chemotherapy on time. We we're actually using more local laboratories and more local imaging centers to, to do those tests. Oftentimes, they were less volume at the time and were able to keep patients home without coming into the medical center. And even though it was really just a virtual visit and they'd still have to come in for their treatment, it was still less touches to the system, you don't interact with the medical system face-to-face, you weren't interacting with the provider face-to-face. So all those were still advantages, even though some other parts of cancer treatment required them to come to the cancer center. And just my prediction, uh, to address another one of Sandy's points, my prediction is that electronic medical record systems will get better to incorporate telemedicine Within, and there could be some advantages to better functioning EMR with telemedicine in the sense that patients can review their own medicines, they can do distress screening, they can do some of these other kind of oncology care model requirements through the e check in process. And if there is a worsening pandemic, it's an opportunity to scan in patients' documents and having less touches in those instances as well.
0: I appreciate that. Sandeep, did you have another comment? Yeah, Mary Jo makes some some great points. And I I think, you know, all of us also function in in academic medical centers, right? The community experience with telemedicine may be different. I think at least one thing um, we were struggling with initially was teaching, right? Medical students, residents, fellows, uh, you know, they'd hop on kind of these Brady Bunch style calls uh, with us. for, uh, you know, uh, our EMR, the the way our EMR was set up for video visits. And, um, you know, I I think a lot of our fellows gave us feedback that that they felt teaching suffered. And, you know, these are the next generation of of oncologists and specialists. And one of the things they were really appreciative is when we were able to reopen and, and see kind of the you know, there's the formal teaching, right? But then there's kind of the informal teaching, how you know one conducts you know themselves in clinic and uh, those discussions that are sidebars um, in terms of education and things like that. And so, absolutely, from a patient-centric standpoint, we all want to do what's best. And I think telemedicine will have a role, and and how people define that role likely depends on their practice. Um, but just you know, more broadly, kind of when thinking about you know at least academic medical centers or teaching hospitals, you know, how do you incorporate teaching right into these kinds of video visits as well, I think it is something that, uh, you know, we don't discuss enough because this is the next generation.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you both for your thoughtful comments. I got I think that Sandeep wins the day for using the word intercalate uh, (laughs) (laughs) for intercalating the word in there uh, today, but uh, Mary Jo and Sandeep, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for all you do for your patients, especially during this time.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues.